Bet365 sponsors our podcast and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. The domestic season returns this weekend with the Community Shield and Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, numbers of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and today I'm joined by Alex Stewart. Hello. Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hi Joe. And the marvellous Chris Woff, who joined us for the first 20 minutes or so to discuss Newcastle. Uh, Beyond Newcastle, we also talk about Chelsea and Everton. And of course, this is a sensible transfers episode, slightly out of format in parts, uh, Chelsea specifically, because uh, they've already signed everyone in the world. So there's no point suggesting new people. There's no one left. Uh, So we just talk about the players that uh, that they have signed. um, And uh, that was a fairly interesting conversation. Um, Before we crack on, I would like to say that uh, if you want to read all the coolest things in the world uh, all the time, then you should join The Athletic. That is theathletic.com forward slash TIFO transfers. You get 40% off an annual subscription, which works out to £3 a a month, I think. And also, the best thing is that you could listen to the TIFO football podcast on The Athletic app and not have to hear my very, very half-hearted plugs uh, for doing that. So that's enough reason, I'd say, to spend £3 a month. Uh, right. Anyway, without further ado, uh, we leave you in the uh, in the fine the fine hands of uh, of Chris Woff. Chris Woff. Uh, firstly, uh, goalkeeper Mark Gillespie has joined from Motherwell, and Jeff Hendrick has been signed on a free transfer after the expiration of his Burnley contract. Which is the second is quite quite exciting there. So, is there anything else uh, in the offering that you know about? D- Danny Rose, maybe. Well, Danny Rose obviously came to Newcastle on loan for the second half of last season, and he did okay in the end. He was a little bit disappointing early on; didn't look hundred percent match fit. And Steve Bruce really likes him, and I think in an ideal world he would try and sign him. But it is certainly not an ideal world at Newcastle United at the moment. They definitely do want left back or left back cover, and so I think Rose now has almost become a backup option given the likely wages that he's on and the fact his age is he's basically just beyond the sort of bracket of what Mike Ashley would ideally like to sign so they're looking uh, at, a, at a few other players quite a few left backs um, I think they made a bit of an inquiry for Ryan Sessegnon but that one looks highly unlikely they've looked at POK's Demetrius Giannoulis I think I've said that correctly uh, I don't don't believe they've yet uh, made an offer has been reported elsewhere, but they certainly have registered an interest about a fortnight ago, and he's one of the options, as is Ruggiero of uh, Sassuolo, who I think would be the one of them all that they'd most want. But in terms of finances, it may be difficult to do that. There is also the backup option beyond Danny Rose of also Jetro Willems, who spent the first half of last season on loan at Newcastle. He's been recovering from a new uh, knee injury, but uh, Eintracht Frankfurt may, may want to, to, to offload him, and so Newcastle haven't completely ruled out that one as well. Chris, can I just ask, with um, with everything that's gone on over the summer and since the spring, who is uh, who is actually looking after recruitment at the moment? That's an interesting question because I actually had an agent who's dealing with one of the, a player who asked me that basically said who makes the ultimate decision on a, on a signing, and clearly they've had sort of mixed messages. Now it, it's almost uh, it has been over the last sort of twelve eighteen months. It's almost a sort of collective approach whereby the players are often identified by the head of recruitment, who's Steve Nixon, then the managing director Lee Charnley and uh, Steve Bruce, the head coach. All the three of them discuss who may come in, and Bruce also proposes some players himself. Now, over the last few months, that obviously with the the takeover on, takeover off, has become. Uh, very confused in many ways and so I think that there is all there almost been 
three lists, to be honest. There was the list of what the prospective buyers may have had if, they, if they'd come in and who they may have wanted to sign. Then there was the long-term sort of recruitment list, ideas who if, if Mike Ashley was going to remain owner for, for a decent period or in the interim, then these were the players who would sign. But then also more sort of short-term options now that really the, the club have had to, well, have had to backtrack really and realise, well, actually, the current regime is in charge. So it's a difficult question to answer, but I'd say it's sort of a mix of those of those latter two, whereby there are some long-term targets and players have watched for a long period of time, but then there are also basically options of expediency. And I wouldn't be surprised if Newcastle actually signed a few players of a slightly older age to what I've seen during the Mike Ashley era previously. And also they are looking at a lot of potential loan deals just to try and avoid transfer uh, fees if they can. Can I, can I ask then off the back of that what the reaction has been to, to Hendrick? Because he's obviously an excellent player, but as a result of the fact that he that he came on a free, he sort of feels typical of the on-the-cheap approach that's that's been so associated with with uh, with Mike Ashley. Has the local reaction been, been negative at all, or, or are fans excited? I wouldn't say they're excited. It's been less negative than, than I necessarily thought, and it, it was interesting because I did a piece with uh, for The Athletic with Andy Jones, a Burnley correspondent, obviously watched a lot of them, and, and basically... The, the way you can, that some people look at this is, as you say, this is a free transfer. It's a typical Mike Ashley sort of signing. But then the other side is, no, actually, this is this is a this is a quite shrewd bit of business. Now, my argument would be the two aren't mutually exclusive. I think that this is both. I think that in some ways, would Jeff Hendrick have been the player who Newcastle tried to sign to bolster the midfield in normal circumstances if they had more money? I don't think he necessarily would have been. But he's also an experienced Premier League player. He offers versatility in midfield. He's got he's he's played for Burnley for the last, for the last four years. Sean Dyche wanted to keep him. He comes in and really gives Newcastle option if he can either play deeper in midfield. He's played as almost an inside right on on the right hand side in a sort of not quite as a right winger but as a right side of midfielder. He can also play as almost a withdrawn number ten, a link man. And so, actually, the, the reaction has been... I think there's a lot of acceptance of, of the sort of position Newcastle are in. And if they can sign a player like Jeff Hendrick on a free transfer, if that saves them having to spend £8.5 million on Nabil Bentaleb, who they had on loan last season, who really did not impress, then I think that a lot of fans see that as, yeah, that's a smart way of using the budget. And so, yeah, it, it's sort of a, an, an in-between-y one, sort of one, but I think that it actually is a decent piece of business for Newcastle. Okay. Um, also, Joe Ellington and Yoshinori Muto aren't training at the moment. Andy Carroll is the only available centre forward, and despite his fantastic goal uh, the other day, um, I don't know how um, how promising that is ahead of ahead of the new season. Uh, what, is there is there anything being done in in this area, Chris, or, or am I uh, overly panicked? I mean, I wouldn't say you're overly panicked. I think a lot of Newcastle fans share the same sort of panic as you. Dwight Gale uh, ended the season as Newcastle's centre-forward last year. He scored four goals uh, after the restart. Newcastle had spent two years trying to sell him, and he's in the final year of his contract, but he was seen as, as basically he was likely to start this season as, as the centre-forward. Well, he's injured his knee. A matter of months, it looks like he's going to be out for, that's my understanding of it. Yeah. And Joe Linton, the club, haven't confirmed why he has been out. There's been reports that, that he's had to self-isolate, haven't been away. Yoshinori Muto is someone who the club, I think, ideally would like to sell, but they may have to reevaluate that now. Andy Carroll, yes, scored that goal against Crew, but that is the first goal he scored since we signed him for Newcastle United. Uh, durability, obviously, is an issue there. So Newcastle, it has been the priority all along, certainly for Steve Bruce. They looked at a centre-forward in January. He tried to protect his budget for the summer. Ironically, obviously, that's been significantly hit given COVID. But they are looking. Callum Wilson of, of Bournemouth is certainly a player who Steve Bruce likes a lot. But finances, like a lot of these deals, are becoming very difficult for Newcastle at my understanding is that they have sort of stepped up conversations on that this week to try and look at that. They're also one of 10 or so clubs who would like Ryan Brewster if he was to go out on loan from Liverpool. They've yeah. looked at a lot of forwards on the continent, the likes of, of Patrick Schick, but it looks like he may go elsewhere. And so Steve Bruce, it was it was a bit alarming for a lot of Newcastle fans that last weekend he made a comment about how it looks like, um, yeah, would like to sign a centre-forward, but it needs to be of better quality than they currently have. Well, I think hopefully Dwight Gale's injury has sort of focused minds internally at St. James's Park and that definitely, if they if they go into the new season having not signed a striker, then I think fears that they will be in a, in a serious relegation battle are well-founded. Chris, I'm, I'm really, really sorry for asking this because I, I know you're going to be utterly sick of um, of these kind of questions. 
what's actually happening with the takeover situation. I know the original deal is um, is uh, not going ahead, but I've read quite a lot of, of uh, about sort of different interested parties, some seemingly a little bit more sincere than others. What's the landscape like around the club at the moment? It's a bit of a bizarre situation in that you have the takeover bid has been withdrawn from the consortium, which involves Amanda Staveley, the Rubin brothers, and uh, PIF of, of Saudi Arabia. Yet all three parties insist that they're committed to potentially doing a deal. Mike Ashley, the owner of Newcastle United, says he's committed to the deal. The vast majority of supporters, given uh, Newcastle United supporters trust 97% nearly, are in favour of the deal, and yet it is not happening. Uh, as 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 things stand, there are things going on behind the scenes, but I'm not trying to create any sort of false hope whatsoever. I don't yet see a pathway whereby that takeover happens, given everything that Premier League has said to both supporters uh, and MPs in in recent weeks. There are other parties who claim to be interested. Henry Maurice, an American businessman, uh, chief executive of Clear TV. He keeps being linked, but there's a lot of doubts about whether he actually has the money. Why hasn't he yet made the full official bid and and why isn't that progressing to the owners and directors test if he wants to there's been the BN group BN group sorry who are based in Paris but backed by uh, Singaporean investors uh, they launched a bid a, a, a couple of weeks ago that has been made in a lot of controversy in terms of alleged photoshopping of Barack Obama in, into, into pictures and and where is the money coming from for that and big claims that that Alan Shearer supposedly is back in the bid which is my understanding is not true he hasn't he hasn't been involved in it at all and so really it's just become a bit of a farcical situation and Newcastle fans and all of us I suppose on Tainter are, are just thoroughly sick of, of the whole thing it's 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 been a deflating four or five months uh, where ethics and morals and geopolitics have, have, have been spoken about more than football. And in the end, it, it's come to nothing. It's come to a situation where you have Mike Ashley still as owner, even though he admits he wants to be away. And really, there is little enthusiasm going into the new season. So I, I don't have anything positive on that front, I'm afraid, to give Newcastle fans. I don't want to I don't want to try and raise hopes artificially at the moment. Mike Ashley is in charge for the foreseeable future and it is Mike Ashley who Steve Bruce has to try and get answers from and get money from, which basically every single manager previously has found very, very difficult under him. Um, I've got a question that you, you might not be able to answer, but it's, it's one that's been nagging away at me for a few months. Um, why does Amanda Staveley really, really, really want to be a part owner of a football club? I just I, I um because I see this phenomenally successful woman um who's extremely capable in all sorts of fields. Um and this is I think the third or fourth time. Um obviously it's it's you know been with different levels of success, but the third or fourth time she's been involved in this kind of process, not just with Newcastle, obviously. What it, what is it here that I, I'm not I'm not saying that what what's what's the appeal for her? It's a good question. It's one I'm I'm not sure. I can really answer in any sort of detailed way. I mean, George Colk and my colleague has obviously done interviews with her in the past and those are a little bit better than me. I, I think partly, and this is from speaking to people in the round of deal, that I think it's sort of that fascination of uh, what what could happen at a club if you can get it at a stage whereby it's seen as a as a cliched sort of sleeping giant. If you look at all of the, the clubs she's, she's, she's wanted to buy at various stages, uh, she was involved in the process to, to, to get Man City sold Liverpool was of keen interest and that was obviously before the last three or four years or so when they really have started to dominate both domestic and and European football and then Newcastle is in a lot of people's eyes possibly one of the few clubs who you you think given the the support base and given the potential infrastructure you could have there that you could really take uh, take far and really if you got it right then you would be uh, certainly heralded in, in or healed in the city, and so I think that I, I, that that is just me guessing. I don't know for certain, but, but having spoken to people and sort of uh, maybe supposition from that, I think it's it's partly that the, the almost the 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 adulation that would maybe come with that, and the, and the and the gratification you may get as as to having taken a club which for so long has underachieved to potentially a new level to to which it just isn't at at the moment. In Newcastle, there's definitely significant room to to. To grow and there's potential there which is unfortunately what the club has become defined by yeah I totally agree with that and on that point room to grow uh, when it looked like the takeover was happening and uh, I was watching supporters talking about what they thought was going to happen online talking about players that they would like to buy and where they thought the club could be in a few years time what I often saw was that you know Steve Bruce has done a good enough job that you know he should he should uh he should be stuck with for the the new owners at the beginning of the new season. But the expectation was that maybe a new 
manager or any coach might come in a little bit later, someone of a slightly higher perceived calibre. What position does that leave Bruce and the supporters in now, given that uh, that's less likely to happen and that Steve Bruce is, you know, presumably there for, for the longer haul? Because, I mean, you mentioned something before about fans being anxious when he, you know, hints that maybe there's not going to be any money spent on a particular position. Steve Bruce, I think, looks like a, a fantastic person. I'm sure he's a lot of fun to work with. He doesn't strike me as someone who would necessarily... Uh, stand up harshly to Mike Ashley, not that it would really make any difference, I imagine, uh, and he's maybe a bit of a yes man. Maybe that's really unfair, and that's, that's just me, you know, from, from an outside uh, observation. But uh, what, what, what? I mean, I didn't really answer, ask you a question, but can you, can you cobble something together <laughs> from what I've said, Chris? <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's, an in, it's a very interesting point, and I think that certainly over the last 10 years, every Newcastle manager there's been, except... Uh, Rafa Benitez has almost been seen as Mike Ashley's man, whether that's been a fair portrayal or not. And Steve Bruce is also linked within that. There was Benitez was very good at speaking publicly and almost distancing himself from the owner. He did that partly because he criticised him in public, but also just the way that he spoke and basically because he was he was seen as being different to, to all managers who come before. Steve Bruce, in many people's eyes, whether it was fair or not, was seen as a reversion to type under Mike Ashley. He was managing the championship at the time. He hadn't managed in the Premier League for a few years. He'd never really managed a, a club regularly in the top half. And I think he's done. I think he's done a, a pretty decent job, all things considered. He inherited chaos last summer. It has been a very difficult uh, first 13, 14 months for him, and unfortunately, it's going to be a very difficult few months ahead. I don't think Newcastle fans have really turned on him in bulk. There's some who uh, certainly haven't liked the style of football for, for large periods, but he has started to try and progress that. But I think the next few weeks are going to be very difficult for him. He he, he said towards the end of last season that, that Newcastle wanted to sign players the likes of Alan Saint Maximan and Miguel Almiron who could help really progress the team, help basically quality signings. And as of yet we've seen no evidence of that beyond I mean you could argue that 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 Jeff Hendrick is a very good player, but he's coming on a free transfer, so people don't see that as investment. Newcastle have a limited budget and they certainly need a striker. And at the moment, by I think most you ask most neutrals and probably most Newcastle fans, and they would say that Newcastle are going to struggle this season. And therefore, I think the pressure may begin to tell on him. But it's a very difficult situation that he's in. I wouldn't say he's a yes man, but I also don't think he, he does command that sort of ability to be able to demand things from above. A, because of the situation that Mike Ashley and Newcastle are in, that Mike Ashley wanted to sell. He has no real interest in putting any more money into the club. But... Also, because basically every single manager, including Rafa Benitez, couldn't get what they wanted from from Mike Ashley. And so I think that that Bruce will find just how frustrating it is to work under this regime in in the next few weeks. And he says that he keeps knocking down the door, and I'm sure he does, but that doesn't necessarily have any impact on Mike Ashley when he's got other things to think about with his other businesses. Yeah, yeah. No, listen, I I, I like him. I think think he just seems like a really nice guy. Uh, He is a very nice guy. Thanks so much for coming. Really appreciate that. And uh, that was a that was a fascinating bit of insight into Newcastle United. You have to leave now. So you're going to leave us to talk about uh, Everton and Chelsea, I believe, are the other two teams. But hopefully we can have you back uh, in the near future and we can dedicate a whole episode to, to Newcastle. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, no, anytime. I'm here to talk to you about something very important today, and that's below-the-belt grooming. Now, Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming, offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and Manscaped has just launched in the UK. Now, over here in the in the dark ages, we've gone years without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products, and that's life-changing in a good way, gang. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we have a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. You can get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Feel the breeze. That's not one of Manscaped's taglines. I just threw that in there. I've got some others that you might like too. Be free. Um, How about... Cut down the rainforest. 
that's not that's anti-environmentalist we don't want that um there you know manscapes is just happy shaving which is great but i like be free yeah maybe if, if the manscape people are listening maybe i don't know you want to you want to take that one discuss it at one of your marketing be free manscape.com okay chelsea Chelsea have signed 100,000 players already. So uh, instead of suggesting more players to add to that large number, we're just going to talk about and look at the players that they, that they have signed. Um, and with Alex, we're going to begin with Timo Werner um, to hear a little bit about Timo and also who he's likely to uh, replace in the team. So Timo Werner is, is a really, really good striker, obviously. Uh, 28 goals and eight assists in 34 league appearances last season. He is quick, he's positionally intelligent, he generally speaking plays off uh, the the shoulder and tries to run through, but he can drop off and link play as well, that generally happens on the left-hand side. The issue that Chelsea have, and the reason that Werner is probably the most problematic of their signings from a kind of system point of view, is that he generally speaking has been playing alongside another striker, uh, someone like Yusuf Poulsen or Patrick Schick. Uh, and the reason for that is that they provide the kind of the aerial presence, the movement that creates space for Werner to run into. So while Chelsea have signed somebody really, really good, is Lampard going to use him in a system that most suits him? Obviously, Lampard has used three at the back occasionally, but when he's done that, he's used a, a central striker with two inverted wingers either side or he's used a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3. None of these are systems that Werner would naturally fit into. Um, this is why there has been some conversation about playing him on, on the left-hand side of an attacking three. But I think he'd work really well with Tammy Abraham, who does provide that sort of you know, aerial threat, the ability to create space, the ability to drop off and link. But I can't see Lampard changing up everything that he's done previously in terms of the way he sets his team up to accommodate both Werner and Abraham. So the question will be, how does he get the best out of Werner in a system that Werner is not used to? And what happens to Tammy Abraham? And I think ultimately the answer to that is Abraham is a bench option. So... As of Wednesday, Alex, uh, Chelsea completed their deal for Ben Chilwell, which we believe is, uh, well, according to Transfer Marked, is in the £47 million region. I quite like him as a fullback. That seems like an awfully big fee for him. I, I would agree. Um, obviously, look, there, there are fee issues involved when you're buying from a club like Leicester, who are extremely canny at extracting maximum value from transfers and who have really succeeded in a buy low, sell high kind of thing. You know, obviously, if you're looking at people previously like Angola, Cantio, Riyad Mahrez, Leicester know the value of a 23-year-old English international fullback. Obviously, being an English player comes with a premium as well. He's an established international now. Um, so you can, you can understand why the price has become that high, selling to another Premier League club under those circumstances. But it also does seem like a, a, a strangely high valuation if you're Chelsea, given that you know, you're spending an awful lot of money in other areas. There's still obviously this link with Havertz. They've spent a lot on Werner. They've spent a lot on Ziyech. So are there equally good options out there if you remove the nationality, which I think is a, a consideration because obviously there needs to be a certain number of homegrown players within the squad. Um, but there are there are left-backs who are as good who you could get for less money. I mean, the, you know, sorry, United are being linked with uh, Sergio Reguilon for, for £25 million, um, who was, you know, metrically at least one of the outstanding left-backs in, in La Liga last season and clearly costs a fraction of the price. I suppose what Chelsea would say in response to that is um, the requirements for being a, a full-back in, in, um, in the Liga versus the Premier League are a little bit different just in terms of the dynamism required. I don't know if whether I agree with that, but that might be their argument. I think what's interesting to me is that um, we know what Chelsea's problem is. It exists you know, between their goalkeeper, their centre-backs, and you know, on both sides of the defence. But Chilwell, I, I know that sort of every modern fullback has to have a, an attacking slant and the, their sort of ratios have to be shifted towards what they do in the opposition half. But Chilwell, to me, 
in a way, he's kind of Leighton Baines in that good attacking player, really good attacking player, um, really nice crosser of the ball as well, uh, nice technique, underlaps, overlaps. But defensively, does he get them anywhere closer to where they need to be to, to, to sort of bridge the gap between where they are now and obviously where they want to be? I don't know. For me, it's a no. I think it depends on how you view defence as a as a, a way of playing. You know, the, Chelsea, again, probably would argue that the more that they attack and the more that they keep the ball in the opposition half, the less they have to do defensively. I mean, Chelsea clearly can't coach a defensive structure at the moment. That's a, a very apparent issue, whether they're playing three at the back or four at the back. And, you know, for all the good that Frank Lampard has done in terms of getting Chelsea playing nice attacking football. Defensively, they've been shambolic at times. You know, they're leaving far too much space. They're exposing their centre-backs to players running onto them. Um, the, The press is effective from the midfield forwards, by and large, but there are large gaps that open up between the midfield line and the defensive line. You're right, Chilwell's not going to solve those problems, but if Chelsea perhaps get a greater degree of dynamism from an attacking fullback on on the left-hand side. They can keep the ball forwards. They can begin the press higher up the pitch and they can possibly protect that defensive line a little bit better through the overall proactivity of the way they play. I mean, like you, I'm not convinced by that argument, but that's probably the argument they would make. Yeah, that's a fair point. It's interesting. I'm actually fascinated to see how it, um, how it works out. Let's, let's move on to Hakim's edge though. I, um, it's kind of old news because we've we've known about it for a very long time. We've also spoken about it with uh, Liam Toomey, and we've done a we've done a video on uh, the TV Football uh, YouTube channel. First of all, where's he playing in this formation now that we're now that we're a little bit more um, settled on the way Lampard wants this side to play? One would assume that he's going to play as as an inside right. He can do that in a 4-2-3-1. He can do that in a 4-3-3 or a 3-4-3. There is also definitely an option to play him through the centre as a 10. Arguably, you could even try playing him as a very, very advanced, aggressive kind of Metsala on the right-hand side, possibly even the left-hand side of a midfield three. I don't think they'll do that because they have enough options within their midfield to, to mitigate that. But... Ziyech is, is able to create kind of from anywhere. And, you know, this ability to drift in off the left-hand side and, and create shooting opportunities or passing opportunities got him six goals and 13 assists in the Eredivisie last season. But he will also drop off. He will also orchestrate play from a little bit deeper. Um, he's not a kind of natural winger, obviously. So where before on the right-hand side, generally using William, you know, Chelsea had somebody who was a bit more of a kind of byline hugger who would try and get forwards and and then cross from from positions closer to, to the goal line. ZX not going to do that. So they're they're going to want more dynamism from their right back getting forwards. I th- I think he's he's an interesting one because like you say, he is kind of the forgotten transfer of this window. Chelsea have otherwise been so active and he's, you know, the lowest fee so far. But I think in some ways he's the most interesting acquisition for them because he does offer the ability to to sort of shape, you know, he, he will fill a hole depending on where the other players go and how Lampard sets, sets his system up otherwise because I think he's a smart enough player to be able to do that, to be able to adapt and play in different positions, which he did successfully for Ajax last season. I mean, Ajax had various injury issues and and Ziyech, yes, he was probably the outstanding creative player in that Ajax side, but he would also, he would move around depending on where he was needed most on the basis of where the gaps were. And he excelled in all of those positions. It's funny. He's he's probably of the players they signed. He's the one I'm most excited about watching, and the yeah, player that I like watching the most. And yet, he's also the one I fear most for because he's his body type is a little bit wrong for Premier League football. I don't know whether I'm working on a kind of an arcane assumption about the kind of the attritional nature of British football. I don't know. Maybe I'm a proper football man, you know, and I'm not even aware of it. Something like that. But <laughs> um, I just wonder with with an interior player who's built like that. I just wonder how they survive cutting inside because over time, 
a lot of teams are going to take the approach with Ziyech. He's so skillful. He's so gifted. A lot of teams are just going to kick him to pieces. And that's going to be part of the game plan. They're going to and the Herrera him, essentially. Um, so I just wonder how he's um, how he's going to stand up to that. Someone I'm not worried about, because I just think he's too good to fail, um, is, and this isn't quite completed yet, Kai Havertz. Um, we think that that deal is done, but it just hasn't been announced. And he is oh, he's a sensational footballer. Talk a little bit about him, please, Alex. So Havertz, I think it's not unreasonable to say, has the potential to be, you know, one of the world's best three footballers over the next five or ten years. Yeah, I completely um, agree. And I think what what you're looking, what, what you get with Havertz is extraordinary speed. Um, which I think is one of those things that you sometimes don't notice with him. He is so fast. His ability to transition, to carry the ball at pace, to to lay a ball off and then pop up in, in the opposition box is, is extraordinary. He also has great technical ability. Um, I remember we made a video on, on him for the Bundesliga a, a little while back, actually. And looking at some of his crosses from the right half space his ability to create the space to get across in sometimes even like a half volleyed cross or something and and find the player that he's looking for is extraordinary there's really nothing he can't do i mean i i i think he he is best as a 10 that you see as a kind of what in football manager would be called a shadow striker you know, somebody who's not a pure creative 10 who sort of sits in the hole and, and spreads the play around, but somebody who is part of a series of short passes and then pops up to offer a goal threat. But he can play as a striker. He can play as an inside right. You know, he's he's the sort of player who, in my opinion, you build the rest of the team around. You know, you, you work out where you want to play him and why, and then, then you fit the pieces around that. So... If it happens, and like you say, you know, everything is indicating that it will, all of a sudden you've got a Chelsea team who very possibly are elevated to, to genuine title contenders because he is that good. Um, you know, he's been playing top flight Bundesliga football for three seasons, I think. He hasn't once looked like a player who who doesn't sit comfortably at the highest level. There is a pace and an intensity to German football that I think transitions really well to the Premier League. So the concerns, for example, that, that you have around Ziyech, I don't think they apply to Havertz. He's tall, he's strong, he does have this pace. And yeah, he, he just, he he elevates a team immediately. And, and the, you know, this is a team who are already pretty well stocked with attacking talent, right? You know, you've got Pulisic there, who's been fantastic. You've got Werner, you've got Tammy Abraham, who's, the probably the best English striker uh, around at the moment, maybe apart from Danny Ings on form. You know, there's there's a lot of options there. You know what I like about Havertz? Obviously, beyond all the, the things he does ever so well, it's the way he carries himself. Um, it's not a particularly original observation, but he reminds me of a very young Mikel Balak, just in the way that he's got that, I wouldn't call it arrogance, but he's got that sort of, he struts a little bit. And I like that in a player. And also, and I don't mean this in a, in a derogatory way, but I, it, that feels like a Chelsea quality. Like at their apex, at their sort of, at their pomp um, under Mourinho, but also Ancelotti, that felt like a Chelsea quality. They thought they were better than you. Yeah, too much of that in a player is not a good thing, but a little bit is really, really helpful. And actually when you don't have it, it's a bit of a problem. One of the, the ways they're, they're trying to address the kind of the, the personality balance, the kind of chemistry in the side is with another deal which is expected to go through probably over the weekend before this podcast releases, Thiago Silva on a free transfer. It's probably not enough reason to, to dwell on this too much, but I like it because I think he's a person that they need in that defence specifically because I look at... I look at that group of centre-backs and I see a lot of underperforming players, perhaps a little bit under-talented in some areas, but they're also players that are operating within themselves. And Thiago Silva, there's a reason he's captain the sides he has. You have to be a very, very uh, resilient personality to be captain of Brazil, for instance. And I like the idea of them having that in their dressing room. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, Thiago Silva, <clears throat> if you go back to 2009-10 um, season... 
there have only been three seasons since that that Thiago Silva hasn't won his domestic championship. You know, he won in in 2010-11 with Milan, and then there's more or less been a clean sweep with PSG. Like you say, he is also the captain of Brazil. You know, this is a guy who has leadership quality, who was able to captain a side to the Champions League final at the age of 34 and, and not look like a player who was struggling physically with with the demands of that. He has players around him who do a lot of the the legwork for him. So Marquinhos is a screening midfielder. Kimpembe is a very athletic centre-back partner. But there is a there is a quality that defenders have where it's positional awareness, it's astuteness, and it's being able to direct your colleagues to know where to be to snuff out danger. And Thiago Silva, with his experience, with his... his Again, this is a cliche, isn't it? But it's a winning mentality. <laughs> I never thought I would say something that, that, <laughs> that un-me. But, but I, I, that, I've trapped you, you know, into saying it. <laughs> yeah, but, it, but it's true. Because, because yeah, from, a, sure. from, a, from a pure kind of, you know, footballing, you know, in terms of performance, in terms of stats and stuff, and in terms of the longevity of a player and so on, you know, there, there are clearly more sensible options out there than Thiago Silva. But like you say, Chelsea has a couple, I think, very promising young centre-backs, particularly Tamori, but also Christensen I really like. But Christensen looks like a player who needs confidence, who needs somebody alongside him to to kind of almost give him the okay to carry the ball forwards and play those elegant passes. Tamori needs to not be playing alongside people who look a little bit hapless like Kurt Zuma. And if you bed in a player of that degree of experience, suddenly I think you you do get a greater degree of confidence and communication in that back line, which can only be a good thing. You know, and, and we've seen, for example, the, the effect that, that Zlatan Ibrahimovic has had. Zlatan, again, still a, a very, very high-class player. But one of the reasons that, that Manchester United brought him in in, in, in uh, 2016 or Milan brought him um, to the club last season was that he brings a winning mentality, he brings experience, and he brings that kind of arrogance that you were talking about with Havertz. You know, it's an... Un- okay, with Zlatan, it's not an understated arrogance, but <laughs> there's there's an understated arrogance to players of really really high quality where they come in and it's it's like look I've been there I've done that I know what it's about I know what it takes to win stuff and even if Silver isn't made the captain of Chelsea which I I don't expect he will be having figures in the dressing room of that ability particularly when you're playing them alongside really talented but slightly callow players like Tamori and Christensen that that can only be a good thing in my opinion yeah, I agree. I, the, the Zlatan thing is interesting because I I don't buy his arrogance. I just I think it's a routine. Like a you know this this guy is nearly forty going around you know referring to himself as a lion. I can't stand him honestly. Like I I I, I know this isn't the place to have my Zlatan rant, but he just oh, goodness. No, no. I, and, there's, there's, there's definitely something annoying about him. I, but um, I, 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 what, what I was going to say is that it, I I see it as a slightly different quality. Like Ibrahimovic is a he's a little bit of a construct. He's he's kind of in his in his thirties. He's become this entity within the game, whereas I see in Thiago Silva something a little bit more sincere, something which kind of more of an element that's suited to being added to a group of players. Whereas yeah, I, I, I don't know if that makes sense or if that. he's even right, but that's, no, no, that's just I, how I, I feel about it. Look, I, I think Thiago Silva is obviously a more laid back character than Zlatan because literally everybody is. Yeah. But 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 there is. <laughs> <laughs> there is something about you know it's it maybe it's not not dissimilar to someone like uh, Cristiano Ronaldo where the the kind of the mindset that it takes to remain that good into the twilight of your career and nobody you know nobody who works with people like Ronaldo or Zlatan ever suggests anything less than 100% commitment you know they Very are true. in extraordinary physical condition and still believe that they are the best player at the club, uh, you know, Slatan is like 38 now and, and having somebody, you know, you're not going to necessarily, you know, sit cross-legged at his feet and learn about how to carry yourself overall. But I think if you're a young player 
and you see that kind of commitment and that kind of self-belief transforming into still very, very good performances, there is something instructive in that. Right, let's go to Everton. Really interesting situation um, because a little bit lopsided. The side definitely needs improving. Um, and yet we're recording this on one of the last days of August and to date, Niles Nkoku is the only arrival and he's a he's a left-back from Olympic Marseille who I think is probably designated to be a, a backup option on the left side of defence. He's there to, to, to kind of... Um, to give Luca Dean's legs a, a rest, it's a funny one because it, when you talk about when you talk about what Everton need, it's, it's almost as if you're you're missing the obvious. And there's a very good article on the Athletic by uh, Paddy Boyland, who in which he talks about the need to first of all trim the club's wage bill and get rid of all these sort of relics of the Steve Walsh era and the, the sort of the early misfires under Brands. So do give that a read, and you can sign up using. Um, our code theathletic.com forward slash TIFO transfers. Um, but Alex, in terms of incomings, we know that Everton were interested in Pierre-Emile Hoiberg and sort of they, they want to fill that sort of central midfield area that obviously was vacated when Andrissa Gay went off to Paris Saint-Germain. Gabamin was supposed to be one of the answers to that, but it's had just the most terrible time with injuries. So let's go back to our traditional format and come up with a few picks. And we'll start with in central midfield. Who have we got? So I'm going to chuck two names at you first, who are not actually necessarily picks. But I think if you're looking at a potential future Hoiberg, there's a guy at Brondby called Morten Frundrup, um, who's, I think, 19. And a guy called Peter Pecori at Salzburg, who is 19. They... They are both midfielders to keep an eye on in that sort of ball-winning recovery kind of thing. I'm not convinced, though, and this is why I move swiftly on from those names. That's your controversial uh, tone of voice. That's that's the tone of voice you use when you're about to introduce something which I might object to. <laughs> no, I. I it, it's not that. I think I. what I hope is that Gabamin gets better. Yeah, I think we because all I yeah. Because I think... I think there's a really, really talented footballer there. And if if he recovers and stops having these injury problems, then you don't need a Hoiberg. You need somebody who is probably more of a box-to-box midfielder, somebody who is going to weigh in defensively because, you know, there, there's everything to suggest that Ancelotti will persist with the, the sort of four-four-two style. So you need the balance there. And that's got to be somebody who can get forwards and, and can pop up in, in the opposition box, but will also weigh in defensively. So I don't think Hoiberg would have been the right player for that. Now, that may be that they were looking at him because the um, prognosis for Gabamin is just bad. Uh, and that would be a real shame. But so I've gone for... I, well, I've got, I've got a couple of picks here. So there's a guy who... Um, Stephen Conroy, who is a... He's a sort of Twitter scout, and I don't mean that pejoratively, but he writes a lot about um, Norway's top tier. And there's a guy that caught his eye who I then went away and looked at called um, Johan Hover, who's at Stromgodset. And he is a 19-year-old midfielder, really, really good. Like, looks fantastic. Very, very good presser, high for interceptions, proper box-to-box, decent passer of the ball would be relatively inexpensive. 19 is maybe a bit young for Everton at this point, but as somebody who who could add dynamism and could add the the the, the ability to link play up between the midfield uh, and and the forward line, which is quite exciting at Everton to be fair. Um I think he's a really interesting prospect. Another guy Lucas Kalvak. He's at Vittoria Pilsen um or Pilsen, I'm not entirely sure I think it's Pilsen I think it's Pilsen he's he's 25 so you know he's a little bit older he's a little bit more established he's a really really good tackler um and and ball winner he's a very kind of proactive defender in midfield the thing I really like about him is that he wins the ball often but then when he wins the ball he's he's straight up kind of carrying it you know he's not winning it and looking to offload it straight away he looks to to find a place that he can run. 
he then passes it out to you know an overlapping fullback or something but there's 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 a again a dynamism there where it's not just somebody who is nipping in and winning the ball and then giving a safe pass it's somebody who immediately is looking to transition we've seen with uh, Sushek uh, at West Ham that you know if you're a good enough player the jump from the Czech top tier to the Premier League is not an insurmountable one um and he you know he looks like the sort of midfielder who i think would he would fit in Everton he he just looks right to me uh he's also more physically dominant than than Herver yeah he's taller he's stronger he's a little bit quicker so yeah he's he's i think someone who's worth looking at so something that's uh, come across our radar whilst we've been recording is that Sky Sports are uh, claiming that a deal for James Rodriguez um, is nearly done. Um, just speaking from my own opinion, I'm a little bit sceptical about that and uh, some of the reporting involved in it. That just reflects my opinion. Um, so we'll wait and see. But we are recording this on Friday, so um, you never know. Maybe something gets done over the weekend, but uh, we shall see. I'd just say on Hammers, actually, there's an interesting couple of points there. He he worked really well under Angelotti at Real Madrid. Hammers also at Bayern when he was on loan there kind of reinvented himself as as an eight who dropped off, uh, sprayed the ball around, was very much the kind of focal point of the passing midfield there, always moving, always making himself available, using his ability to take the ball under pressure to to facilitate other players doing stuff. Obviously, he kind of, you know, exploded into uh, the the world conscience uh, or consciousness is the better word um, as as an attacking ten, you know, and he does have that creativity and he is a great kind of attacking player. But there's no doubt at all that he can play deeper and he can play in a really unselfish way. Um, so I I kind of think that yes, I mean, you know, whether or not it'll happen is a massive question. But I, I could actually see that move working out really nicely for, for both parties if it does happen, um, because I, th- I still think he has a lot to offer. And I think he can offer that in that sort of more constructive role deeper rather than being, you know, the attacking focal point. Oh, I completely agree with you. I think if, if it did actually happen, I think he'd do very well. I think he, he, he works for Angelotti. I think he's the kind of player that Everton fans would absolutely adore. Um, and those kind of things matter. I just don't know quite whether it's as close as it's being claimed. Um, I'm not sure. So we'll, we'll see on that one. Actually, before we move on, I, I quite like Abdoulaye Decoré, another player they've chased over the weekend, uh, over the over the summer. Sorry, I think he would do very, very well. He's been used slightly in a slightly more advanced role for um, for Watford, and actually, a succession of Watford managers have messed about with his position to the detriment of his performance. But um, if the uh, if the asking price isn't too prohibitive, that would be quite an easy transfer to. Uh, to conclude on a quick way of making your midfield not only a little bit better, but a little bit more formidable. Um, I think that's a kind of a, a something that Everton Everton's midfield has been lacking for a while. No, he's, he's a great Kay player, Decore. He's really, yeah, he really, he really is. He's. Um, I think he's really underrated. If if he played for a club that wasn't Watford, if he was on television more often, for instance, I think um, I think uh, he would be more highly rated. But watching him live. Vicarage Road is a wonderful place to watch football. I had the, the opportunity to go there quite a lot over the last couple of seasons. Just uh, you, you see how good a player he is, and actually he has that he has that sort of man against children um, dynamic. When when he, when he carries the ball through midfield, he just looks like someone's older brother, and he is uh, yeah, he's just fabulous player. We're going to move on though. One of the other players that Everton had an interest in earlier in the summer, and in summer it's nearly autumn, was Gabriel, uh, the Lille centre half, who we think is just about to join Arsenal, so not set for Goodison Park. But they do need a centre-back because, I don't know, I, I, maybe I'm being terribly unfair. I don't really, I'm not sure what I think of Yerimina yet. There are games when he looks excellent, games when he looks dreadful. I'm not I'm not quite set on which one of those better represents him. Michael Keane, I think, is okay. Um, I think he's given a little bit too much attention because of the colour of his passport. I mean, I was a little bit bemused to see him in the, uh, the England squad. I just feel like uh, I don't see a situation where he's ever going to to be a an England first choice and therefore 
I don't know. Uh, that's just a that's just a gripe at Gareth Southgate. Mason Holgate, I really like. I think he's an excellent player. And Jared Branthwaite uh, made a few appearances at the end of last season and should develop quite nicely. But clearly they lack a little bit in that area. So do we have some picks, Alex? We do have a couple of picks, yes. I, I think it's also worth pointing out that, that one of the very few um, Schalke players to emerge from last season with any credit at all was John Joe Kenny, who's coming back to the club um, and has played really well as a, as a progressive right-back. So I think that will bolster Everton in the overall defensive department and, and someone that I'm excited to see hopefully get more game time. Um, in terms of centre-backs, I've gone young because because I tend to with, with picks because I, you know, I think it's important unless you're a really, really established side where resale value and so on is less important. I think if you're you know, if you're looking to recruit, if you can find younger players, they A, tend to be less expensive and, and B, potentially have a resale value. Um, Martin Ehrlich, who is a 22-year-old Croatian, six foot four, uh, has played the majority of the games um, as a right-sided centre-back for Spezia, who just got promoted to Serie A for, I think, the first time ever. And he's been really, really good. He's very, very solid. He's quite aggressive. He's got a little bit of bastard about him, which I quite like. Um, which I also like. You, 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 a bit of a shithouse. Never yeah, hurts. Yeah, never, just a, never just a smidgen. Yeah. Um, I, the, the two things that, that kind of really stand out, I mean, he, he wins over 75% of his defensive duels, which is kind of a, a good benchmark for a good defender because it shows partly that when he does get involved in a defensive duel, he wins it, but also it, it tends to indicate that he's picking his battles well. He's not going in for things that he can't win. Um, he also has that, uh, again, it's a word I probably overuse, but proactivity in, in defence. So you can see when, for example, if someone's attacking down you know, Spezia's right flank and, and the fullback's too high... He's very, very quick to cover over. He's always looking for where is the danger coming from? Where's the hole? And can I get there and plug it? Um, and then quickly getting back into the defensive shape. And that's something I really like with defenders. I think particularly if if you're playing in a team that has quite aggressive fullbacks, you want a centre-back who has the physical ability and the awareness to cover over and always be looking for that danger. Um, so he's a he's a nice option. Probably a player I prefer is a guy called Miles Robinson. Mm. Um, he is at Atalanta United uh, over in MLS. In last season's um, MLS best eleven, he was picked as one of three defenders. He's twenty three, six foot two, very very athletic, very quick over the ground. Um, again, good awareness, good kind of covering depth. He he's. You know, he doesn't get himself sucked forward so that balls can be played over the top. He's a very committed defender. He makes a lot of blocks with his body. He's quite happy to kind of throw himself in front of shots. Um, has a good sort of physical position when he's standing a player up 1v1. And and just looks like a like an accomplished defender. You know, there's 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 defenders sometimes you see. We, we were talking about this in the Man United pod where someone like Lindelof, for example, who's a very competent defender, but, but always just looks like he's maybe a little bit panicky. Slightly out of and, control. And, you know, just yeah, slightly out of control. So slightly. Yeah. Robinson looks extremely calm. He looks very measured. He looks like somebody who's, he's not worried about overcommitting. He, he chooses his moments to, to push up, to make a, a tackle well. And he just, yeah, he exudes a sort of a calmness. And I think when you're playing alongside, for example, someone like Yeri Mina, who does have those moments where he pushes up too quickly or he is, you know, a, a little bit forceful in going forwards for an aerial challenge, you want to have somebody alongside them who is more measured and more calm and can just kind of keep that defensive shape, keep the line a little bit better and, and sweep in behind if there's a mistake. And I think Robinson has those attributes. You know, it's funny, you, you don't get many centre-backs coming from MLS into straight into English football. The, the, one of the only ones I can think of, and I might be wrong, and please feel free to correct me, internet. Um, I think Tim Ream around 2013 maybe went to Bolton from, um, I think, New York. 
it's it's almost as if it's kind of that's one of the last areas of that that weird MLS um, prejudice that exists because MLS has, has really improved. If you haven't watched it as a as a as a product as entertainment, it's become so quick. Like it, I watched the um, I watched the playoffs last season, and um, okay, so the, the timings are a little bit difficult for someone that's living in England, but um, just great fun great fun and there's a lot of very gifted players in that league they tend to be very gifted attacking players it's almost as if it's a the the growth has been a little bit lopsided so i wonder like i'd be interested if if a, a club of everton standing because ever you know everton signing a centre-back is not the same as bolton signing a centre-back or where bolton were when when tim ream joined like it's that they're a major club so i wonder whether there'll be a little bit of kickback as a result of that yeah, possibly. Uh, but I think you're right about MLS being a very attacking league. Um, you know, it seems like if you're, you know, a potentially a very, very good South American attacking talent under 23, it's where you're going first. And if you therefore stand out as a defender in that league, that probably says something about you. It's also worth noting that uh, when I did the article recently for The Athletic on Ben White, in terms of players who match up to Ben White's passing ball carrying ability particularly from deep tim ream is the only guy who who <laughs> statistically bears comparison to ben white still and tim ream's what like 31 now possibly um, uh, that sounds about right i'd have to look it up but yeah yeah no obviously that, that that's partly predicated on the way that fulham played last season but you know there, there's there's a player there who has not at the top level of english football but has has consistently managed to play well and and there are a couple of other good center backs in you know austin trusty um looks like a very promising one james sands who's at, at new york city fc maybe as a center back probably i think more as a defensive midfielder but there are there are some really good defenders coming through there it's interesting i i think um objective a everton I'm just looking through their squad list as you were talking there, Alex. Whilst obviously still paying attention to you, um, <laughs> but some of the names that some of the names that are still on here, some of the contracts that they're still paying, it's. I mean, the, the obvious ones everyone knows. Sandro Ramirez is still there, clearly, and Yannick Balassi, Mohamed Besic, who I've actually always really liked as a player. I, I feel like Besic is kind of the 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 great unrealized talent of central midfield. <laughs> it's, like, it's it's becoming quite a difficult. Uh, position to keep holding but it's a it's a hill i'm willing to die on i i think sigurdsson is a bit of a problem as well i i think um that's a big contract they spent a lot of money on him which is kind of redundant now but like it, it's so everton's squad is so cluttered it's so full of players that don't really have a purpose and i think kind of if they could i mean they need to add in the positions we discussed that that goes that saying but i think a good summer for them is almost if they were able to shift three or four players and then prepare themselves for whatever happens in you know post covid football world like if they were able to to restock properly you know with a bit of space in their wage budget in january or even next summer i think that would be a um that would be a a, a, a win almost i think the the biggest problem with everton and and that there's there's quite a high preponderance of everton fans on twitter who also work in analytics so it's one of the clubs that you get quite a lot of good comments on and they are just still stylistically a mess it's very difficult even now with ancelotti having been there for a full season to know exactly what style of football everton really want to play and there are definitely players there you know calvert lewin richarlison particularly who are of very high quality but everton don't have an identity tactically I don't think and you can see for example in the improvement in Southampton where the imposition of a tactical identity that has then been honed and refined and worked on despite the fact that it didn't work out to start with has really seen that that team accelerate and Everton I think first and foremost need to work out not just under Ancelotti but but in the next sort of five years what style of football are we really going to work towards playing? And once you've done that, then you can work out... Because some of those players you've mentioned, like Balassi on his day is a great attacking talent, but he only really fits in certain styles. You you need first and foremost, you know, Brantz particularly needs to sit down and, and plot out the, the, the sort of the destination point in five years' time stylistically and then 
you look at the squad and work out a who to prune because they're not going to fit in some of those are just a pure quality thing others will be a system thing and then start bringing in players that will be able to work on that and create a spine like you say you know with people like Holgate John Joe Kenny Gabamin if he gets fit that you know there, there's a good spine of players there Calvert-Lewin is one that I love I think Calvert-Lewin, oh he's fantastic yeah if you could surround Calvert-Lewin with the right pieces that is a footballer I mean I, I took a really long time to recognize that and I was I was down on him for a long time and wrongly so but because I didn't really I, I just didn't watch him right I didn't I didn't appreciate um I, I saw all his traits like his, his willingness to run into channels as kind of compensations for stuff that he wasn't able to do elsewhere which is just my mistake but he is, uh, he is, he's fascinating. Like yeah. he's, he's and, like and a, think, he's like a player from the nineties. He's uh, he's a he's a really traditional sort of target man type with kind of modern technique. It's fascinating. Yeah, and and a fantastic work work ethic yeah, and ability to press. And I think, you know, if I were Everton, that's I would be looking at Calvert Lewin and saying, right, how do we mould the football team on the pitch into the image of how Calvert-Lewin plays. So I want intensity, I want pressing, I want directness. I'm kind of almost looking at Southampton, actually, because uh, I could see someone like Richarlison playing in that tucked-in wide role. I can see uh, creating a midfield, even with the players they've got there, that that would work probably, certainly the the, the bottom pivot if Gabamin gets fit. You know, there, there's, there's the the scope to to do that and create a really intense high pressing dynamic energetic team with Calvert-Lewin leading it and then once you've got that blueprint in mind that's when you start buying and selling until you've got that and and I don't think Ancelotti is the guy to coach that team by the way because I, that's not his style but but it's it seems to me like that's the direction that Everton should be going in yeah, you, you don't you don't start buying expensive clothes until you've built your wardrobe right, do you? I mean, until you've actually got somewhere to store them. I think I think that's the way I look at it. Anyway, this has been fun. Um, Alex, thank you. I'm gonna try and wrap up now. Thanks. In sir. Joe's in Joe's style. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Joe would want me to say something weird like uh oh, we'll we'll do something different but the same next week. And actually we will do because Joe's Joe's off on annual leave next week. So God, that's gonna be really ropey. You're gonna to have to put up with me for a couple of episodes. There was there was also um, no no cold hands and warm embrace. Which No, like I, I feel like that's a little out. bit of an infringement. Like it's a kind okay. of like there's there's imitating and then there's trying to make everyone feel at home and then there's just thieving of, of intellectual property and that's very much Joe's thing. Um, but he does like to, to, to have like an awkward goodbye where he just stops talking so we'll do that right here